In today's episode of Board Game Impact, I have a really special treat for you in which we bring on a new guest while Josh is away for this episode, but I think you're really going to enjoy learning about some behavioral economics in gaming, as well as some really cool games. Stay tuned. Welcome to Board Game Impact. My name is Bruce Brown, and at Board Game Impact, what we seek to do is combine our passion for education and our education, literal education, uh, to with our amazing board game hobby and this great hobby that we all get to be a part of. By doing that, what we're able to do is we're able to dissect the experiences that we're having, so that way we can educate you on them, so that way you can have information to make meaningful decisions that will benefit you and your gaming group. Now, if that sounds like something of interest to you, do make sure to click that subscribe button as well as check out uh, check out our platforms on Facebook and Instagram. But if you really want to know the behind the scenes of how all this goes on, hop on over to Patreon. Uh, so if you go to patreon.com slash boardgameimpact, you can find out on there. I've been personally making little videos about some really cool updates. One of the ones I just did out there to the Patreons first was learning that we are now available on iHeartRadio. So if you have a smart device in your house that has uh, Alexa or iHeartRadio installed, so if you like listening to the radio at work and you're doing it through iHeartRadio, you can now just search Board Game Impact, and our patrons were able to hear about that first, but those patrons are so phenomenal because they are literally the support that helped make this show a reality. Now, it's enough about that stuff. Today, we have a really cool thing going on. So sadly, if you're a longtime listener, you know Josh has been on the show for a bunch of episodes. He is still around, but for this episode, he's been doing a lot of traveling around the country. I'm talking at least four or five states in a week and a half. So kudos to Josh and also him getting to recalibrate after all of these things. Listeners, don't, don't worry. He's not gone. He's coming back. But... I thought it'd be really cool to bring somebody else on to this podcast for today because why not hear from two different perspectives? And so this individual is an amazing individual that I got the chance to meet at Board Game Geek Spring. And so with that, I'm actually just going to turn it over to my interview with him so you can learn about him, learn how he met and all those cool things. But I think you're really going to get a lot out of this episode. So listen in. All right. Welcome back, listeners. Uh, we're just so thankful you can be here today. So real quick, we do actually have a special guest on the show today, and Josh will not be joining us today, which is really sad, but Josh, it's, it's that time of the season and so in time of the year, so Josh has some things going on. So with that being said, why not have a special guest? And this special guest is also um, someone who I got to meet through this wonderful hobby and is just has a really great voice uh, that I think will add a lot to and a lot of value to you listeners, and I think it's going to be a really fun episode. So with that being said, I would also like to just introduce Jeremy. Jeremy, can you say hi? Uh, hello, everyone. Uh, uh, goodness, Bruce, thank, thank you for that, uh, that, that really warm and, and kind introduction. Uh, I, I couldn't have been more uh, pleased to have met you at uh, Board Game Geek Spring, uh, and, and especially to be joining you this evening. And listeners, if you're listening to this at the time of this launching, this is just after the 4th of July holiday here in the United States. And Jeremy is actually in the United States Armed Forces, um, in the Air Force. And just want to also just say thank you um, t for you and your service and to everybody else out there who has served or has family who has served. As I know, it's not just that individual, but it's a family affair. And so thank you, Jeremy, for all of that. Uh, hey, uh, thank you. I'll send... Um 
send my own thanks uh, out to uh, to all the service members, the soldiers, sailors, uh, airmen, and Marines uh, out there fighting our wars. Um, I, I'm especially grateful, Bruce, that you uh, did mention families because, uh, I, hey, it's kind of nice and, and, and flattering to be thanked for one's service. But if you count my, my, my wife and my kids, I, I know you're getting it right. So that being said, Jeremy, like you said, you and I got to meet actually at Board Game Geek Spring um, in a very interesting circumstances, actually. We met because you bought something from me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So we met um, buying a game online for me. Jeremy, do you want to kind of talk about what that experience was? Uh, Sure, absolutely. So uh, we connected through the virtual flea market, um, which is a geek list on boardgamegeek.com, wherein... um, Willing sellers can uh, offer up games either for um, either for flat fee purchases or in auction style. Or what usually happens is a seller will say, "Hey, I- I'd like this much for that game," uh, and somebody makes an offer, and they find themselves uh, making a purchase somewhere in the middle. Um, but the way this is done, you do all the negotiating on the on the front end through through Board Game Geekcon, and then you show up for one hour uh, during the convention, and it's a mad dash to find all the games that you bought uh, and 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 all the games that you sold. And listeners, I actually took a photo during that experience, and so I'm going to be uploading it. I'm going to put it on the website in the show notes for this one. So do go check that out because um, it was insane in a really good way, though, because you get to meet a lot of people and spread the hobby. And so Jeremy and I met up because he was buying a game for me that we negotiated beforehand, but then we actually got to talking, and come to find out, you have a pretty cool career. What do you do? So I'm a clinical psychologist in the United States Air Force. And Yeah, and so I was just thinking that is a really cool perspective and really breaking down those experiences and offering, shedding some light on the behavioral interactions, and so Jeremy and I started talking, and then we quickly evolved into how about you come on the show? Because I think this is some meaningful content that could mean a lot for our audience. But then you also talked about something else, and that is that you're actually just now getting back into the hobby and that for a while you actually moved away from the hobby while you're going to grad school. Is that correct? Uh, Absolutely. So, well, first of all, I'll tell you that um, that it wasn't uh, wasn't really by choice that that I wasn't very active uh, in, in the hobby. If if I'd had my way, there wouldn't have been any sort of break. But uh, in in 2012 uh, is when I first uh, began board gaming more uh, regularly. That was when uh, board game geek user uh, Redward uh, introduced me to uh, Dominion, uh, and 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 I was I, I was I was just smitten. Because I played Settlers and Munchkin and, and Bonanza, the, the bean farming game before, uh, but 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 this was something else entirely. It, it it reminded me of playing Magic the Gathering, in fact, which you talked about on on the last episode, uh, with the exception that I didn't have to heavily invest and I could just you know get get to playing the game. Well, uh, way back then, that was kind of all I was playing until I went to a small regional gaming con, which was GameCon in Memphis. They were hosting a Dominion tournament, so I thought I would show up and kind of um, see what was going on with that. But I ended up winning. Um, and, and, and matter of fact, I, I won their next annual Congrats. Well, we have an award winner in our presence, y'all. <laughs> yeah, oh, sure. Um, but that was uh, where I met people playing uh, a number of different games and was more exposed to the community of board gaming than necessarily just the game that my friends and I were playing. Uh, 
back then, I, I was playing uh, a number of social deduction games. Mm. They were they were pretty hot at the time, and that's what my friends in the hobby were playing. So it would play Resistance and Avalon and sometimes uh, Battlestar Galactica. Ah, uh, uh, there we go. I, I figured that one would get, get some kind oh, of reaction. Absolutely, absolutely. Are you a Cylon? I just need to ask. I'm... <laughs> I'm often a Cylon, but not okay. always. <laughs> uh, and there was another one, um, uh, Two Rooms in a Boom, if you know that game. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, so, so I used to uh, playtest Two Rooms in a Boom with uh, with Board Game Geek user No Lemon Please. Uh, we were playing it for a couple years before it was released, actually. Um, that is the game, actually, in my collection that I hold on to because it has an interesting thing of playing from eight players to, like, 36 which is insane. And so when I work with college students, it's actually pretty perfect to take out to classes. Oh, absolutely correct. I'm sure it would be incredible for that, uh, for that use. Uh, sometimes I do it with, um, with youth groups, uh, like at church. Um, but I, I guess finishing out kind of what, what happened for me. Yeah. Uh, I, I was playing things, that, uh, Tableau Builders, Innovation, Glory to Rome, still some of my absolute favorites um, over the next couple of years. Started to uh, try out some, some heavier games too. Uh, and, and I was going uh, back, to, back to grad school uh, for, for the second time, uh, this time a, a clinical psychology PhD. But while I was doing that, um, my my first child was born my son uh he he's now uh five and a half so if, if you can, oh yeah <laughs> so uh if you if you can date back to that time period um you know i'm spending time at home with my my wife and uh, and my son and she's not really wanting me to to go out to these um, gaming meetups anymore with um with, uh, even at other people's homes or e even even at stores and and this has changed a bit. Uh, one of the reasons is my son got old enough to play some games with. When when he was three, we certainly broke out uh, Animal Upon Animal and Monza and uh, what does he love now? Race for the Treasure. Um, and now that he's five, we're playing Magic Maze, but that's kind of coming back around. Um, but what I would say really, really changed is I started finding games that my wife liked. And when, when we made, made that work, let's say two, three years ago, um, then she's been much more willing to let me do something like go to a, a, a VGG spring. I see what you did um, there. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so what is, what is my wife into? Yeah. Uh, she likes uh, fully co-op games. Um, I'm... I'm hit or miss on whether fully co-op is um, is exactly what I'm wanting okay. uh, because I do uh, enjoy a competitive head-to-head, -head, but I very much like doing it with her. Uh, and I also really enjoy the uh, the legacy type games. Mm. So uh, before BGG, we played through Pandemic Legacy Season One. I was just I about to it. ask. Yeah, Remember, that sounds like gone. right in that sweet spot. Yeah, that's right. Well, and and um, we lost uh, we lost twice. So so if you're not familiar that's with the game, that's really impressive, actually. Yeah, tell them about the game. That's impressive. <laughs> so the game uh, Pandemic Legacy Season One. It's um, a derivative of Pandemic. So you're basically playing the the standard game Pandemic, except that some stuff happens, and I won't tell you the no spoilers. For spoilers yeah, reasons, no spoilers. But but stuff happens over the course of an in-game year, and so each month. 
uh, it's in quotations each month. You're uh, you're playing uh, one scenario and you have two shots to um, to win. Uh, so if you win the first time, you go to the next month. If you lose, you play again. If you lose twice, you just go on to the next month. So you end up playing 12 to 24 games. Well, the the issue is that there is a difficulty correction mechanism where if you win too much, the game just gets harder and harder. Uh, and, and so to say that, that we lost twice, I understand, is kind of unusual. Yeah, it is. <laughs> but that means <laughs> it got real hard for you real quick then. It was, re- oh, oh, it was really hard. Um, now, let's see, and see, now we're doing the same because now we're in season two. We're in September. We just lost our second game. Um, and, and for non-spoilery reasons, I can't say what happened, um, but uh, Pandemic Season 2 is not exactly Pandemic. It's, uh, it's an exploration game wherein you're also playing Pandemic, uh, and, and I got a little overzealous as far as what we could get done in a particular scenario. Yeah, there's a lot going on in Season 2 that's a lot different because you're actually like adding... In these legacy games, listeners, if you haven't played these ones, you're actually like adding stickers or, or things to the board that change the game state from then on until something else happens. So, yeah, if you're trying to do a lot, that can, that can escalate real quick. Good. Thanks for that clarification, Bruce. Um, I appreciate it. Uh, I, I guess some of what I notice as coming back to the hobby is there's a lot that I missed that... Um, people take for granted that I know, that I know what Magic Maze is, that I ha- that I know why some people like Azul and some people don't, based on different degrees of is it or is it not hate drafting. <laughs> um, listen, I used to play Roll and Rights when, when I was a kid, but apparently there was this whole Roll and Write thing, mm-hmm. uh, and and I'm. Uh, I'm quite taken with Gonshan Clever, but I didn't even realize it won a bunch of awards, you know? Yeah, and Gonshan Clever, I mean, I am addicted to the app for that because I tried forever to get it from Germany. I'm glad Stronghold Games and Indie Game Studios finally bringing it, as well as Doppelt, uh, as well as Bricks, too. I'm, I'm addicted to those games with Wolf King Wars, just to let you know that. Oh, thank you. So if, if, yeah, I, if, if I like if I like Gonshan Clever and I like Doppler Clever, which I'm presuming is the same thing but harder. Yeah, but uh, it also adds a pink die. What's the pink? Oh, do we want to get into what the pink die does? Sure. So um, <laughs> real real quick, listeners, uh, Gonshan Clever is a roll and write game in which you roll all the dice. You pick one of those die, and depending on how many pips are showing, so if you pick the one that shows three, everything with less than three goes on this like literal silver platter, and you have this little player board that you're writing on, most people end up printing it out and then laminating it so they don't have to use separate sheets of paper, just wipe it off every time. And then you're marking things off, and depending on what you mark off, you get different points. There's one that's just like straight number. There's another one where you have to have the neck at least a number higher. Um, the dot belt clever actually has the numbers where you have to work down with the pink one, I believe, is you work down from six to one, and then it resets back to six. But it uses the same rule set where if you take a high number, you eliminate all the other ones and have to put them on the silver platter. And you can't choose off the silver platter, so it, lim- it it's so much tighter. Yeah. So, Bruce, what I, what I love the most about uh, board gaming, uh, speaking from my personal experience, is uh, making meaningful decisions. And what I love second most about board games, just, my, just personally, uh, is 
their ability to expand your mind and, and, and perspective. And, and, and I'm really quite confused right now, but in, in an exciting way that I want to explore. <laughs> you know? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And like I said, that's just coming out. Um, it's about to hit uh, the street date for Stronghold and Indie Game Studio. So check that out. But there's also an application you could just download on your iOS or Android devices as well. I guess to round things out on the whole, yeah. Uh, what what about my time away from 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 games and yeah. coming back? Um, <clears throat> I, I talked about uh, starting with Dominion, and I missed a game that I really really liked, which was Mystic Veil. Ooh. Uh, Right, which is a so so Dominion is a deck building game, and then Mystic Veil, I learned at BGGCon, uh, is a deck crafting game. So using uh, a sleeve mechanic, you actually, as you're building your deck, change what your cards do uh, and how much information is on them. Uh, something that I want to uh, explore a bit more. Yeah. So <laughs> listeners, if you've ever had like those high school report cards that you would slip into the binders, is that kind of thing, but like a tarot-sized card with three sections, and you can add different powers in. So it's a really cool and clever mechanism. I heard just don't leave it out in the heat, because it can melt. <laughs> uh, <laughs> just be careful with that. Don't leave it in direct sun for too long, because I have seen a picture of that. And so just be careful. Keep it in air conditioning. Keep it in not outside. <laughs> but so that's really cool. So you had Dominion. You had Mystic Veil. You had already played some Rolling Rights. And so you're coming back in. Was it just like getting hit with a tsunami of like, whoa, like a whole new world, like Aladdin style? Like what was like, how would you describe it? Uh, I, it felt um, really, it felt very comfortable for me because when I came into the hobby the first time, I was trying to consume all of this this big website called BorganGeek.com and I was trying to, uh, learn about currency as far as what is this thing called hotness and 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 how does the how does the national kind of hotness relate at all to what my friends and my group were doing and, and so this time it was more like I, I kind of know what I'm looking for and also I, I don't need to be uh, quite as concerned with with what's new or even what's hot because well from four or five years, uh, that I was away, if people are still playing something, there's a good chance it's good. Mm -hmm. so, uh, mm -hmm. so that's kind of where, where I spent my time was, what are people talking about? What are they still playing? I want to play that thing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I'm also in that same mindset of, don't get me wrong, as a podcaster, I'm also trying to stay and play all of, as many of the hotness games <laughs> as I can, because let's find the new cool things, plus I really enjoy that. But also, let's go back to these oldies but goodies that are just phenomenal games, and let's not uh, let's not sweep them under the rug or just move on. And that's what we try and do in pulling in some different games. And actually, so transitioning a little bit, Jeremy. Sure. Um, that being said, what's a game you've been playing recently? Um, <laughs> well, I, I suppose it depends on if we want to say a game I've been playing that's the hotness or, or something that's a bit of a throwback. Uh, I'll start with one, and if you want to give room sure. for the other. Yeah. Uh, um, the absolute game of the con, well, the games of the con, as we know, were Tiny Towns and Wingspan. Absolutely. But the game of the con for me uh, was Western Legends. Ah, uh, so yes. This sandbox game thing happened, and and so listeners, uh, Western Legends is a fairly big box game where if you if there's something that people used to do and they were outlaws in the Wild West, you can basically do it in this game. Uh, you can 
rob the bank, you can mine for gold, you can steal cattle, you can be an outlaw, you can be a marshal. Uh, and it, it's played in such a way where if you wanted it to be a pickup and delivery, it could. If you wanted it to be a point grab, it could. But what I loved about it was that it's a hybrid. This is a point grabbing best strategy wins good looking Euro game. Mm -hmm. uh, and so after having much debate with myself about uh, how much it cost on Amazon, I, I realized I uh, grabbed one of the last six uh, shrinked copies in the first printing, and then the which we're going to get to later, I think, because because the price skyrocketed. Yeah. Uh, but I've been with with my parents, with my wife, with my friends, with my don't play games friends. We've been playing Western Legends. Oh, that's phenomenal, phenomenal! And so, listeners, there's another cool thing about this game. Like this, Western Legends is a game that actually hit the table a lot for my gaming group here. We just haven't gotten around to talking about it yet. So, like here now, um, it also comes with a deck of cards, and it's literally a deck of cards. Like, because right. you literally. If you want to go walk into an Old West saloon and play poker at the table, yeah, you stop everything else going on in the game and you play a hand of tech, kind of hybrid Texas Hold'em poker. Um, it's really, really fun that you can do all those different things. And so, yeah, Western Legends, phenomenal. And it's really great to hear that you're able to get that to the table with non-gamers. All I've been able to play with is people who are gamers, and so the pick up and uh, deliver mechanics and those kind of things, they kind of get. How was it introducing all of those layers? Oh, sure. Well, I, I suppose I didn't spend as much time on the mechanics of it because if I was like, hey, there's nine different things and you can do any of them, I, I think that might have been a bit o overwhelming. It was more like uh, with my mother, who who I, I think like you is um, is is an educator, it was like, hey, look, if, if you want to be Jesse James or Calamity Jane and learn about who they were in the West, you, you can be them and you, you can you can kind of learn something here. Uh, and and also the idea of yes you can play poker over the game and it's so much fun uh to to do that to to have a meta game it, i guess it's more of an, an intra game if you want to get really prefixy about it <laughs> but uh, to have this meta game over the game that's happening but also how poker cards are how you fight how mm -hmm. poker cards are how you how, how they're also currency basically so so i introduced it more uh, more kind of like that Okay. That, that, you, that you want to get and have poker cards. Absolutely, and that's a really great idea. Let's find the core thing that they can kind of rally around, but then expand from there, right? If they choose to do something, then you can parcel out those rules. And so, Jeremy, we've talked about a couple games we've been playing. We talked about some experiences with layering knowledge and things like that. But you actually suggested a really cool topic for this episode that I think our listeners are going to really enjoy and make them really consider what things are going on for them and motivating them in some decision making. So I'm going to let you kind of introduce the topic and then we'll kind of go back and forth off of these little bullet points here, all right? Sure. Thanks very much, Bruce. Uh, well, uh, I, I appreciate your letting me do something a little bit uh, in, in my wheelhouse. Uh, this is the behavioral economics of buying and selling board games, and mostly used board games. And so I, I, I've got a couple prompts for, for us to consider, and you know perhaps we can even talk about uh, how these relate to us or what, what we might do in, love in, in a, in a buy-sell situation. Cool. All right, so the first one has to do with buying, and it is making purchases due to perceived scarcity. So here's a for instance for me. Uh, I, I just noticed that... I 
pulled the trigger on uh, Western Legends when it was uh, $63 on Amazon, which, given its market value, is, is, is an absolute steal. Uh, right now, um, it's $124 on eBay, and you can't buy it from a retailer uh, anywhere. Maybe your friendly local game store if they special ordered it. I'm not sure. Um, but what convinced me to go ahead and make the purchase was I could see that it was running out. Um, e even though the price was good as far as game content and quality, it was just more than I wanted to spend. But the main example I think people are, are going to be familiar with who've been listening to this podcast is Wingspan. Absolutely. Uh, so you you may remember that until recently, Wingspan was going for typically $100. Uh, and this was a game that I believe was introduced with an MSRP of, of 60 Yep. So, so at $100, it had been printed... Um, it's hard to count, kind of two or three times, about two and a half times uh, that, it, that it had been printed. But every time there, there was a print run, it was a short one, 10,000 copies typically, and then they were all gone. Poof. Yeah, <laughs> so, gone before so, they even hit the shelves, yeah. Exactly. And so they were being flipped on eBay, but then it printed again. And so the price went down to 80, right? Which is still, um, still above, and I wondered, how many people are buying just because they think, oh, I'm going to get it before it's gone? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that happened while I was at BGGCon, actually. So I, besides for selling in the virtual flea market, I sold a couple games uh, that I also brought to the bazaar, which is another hour of selling and people are walking around. We're going to touch upon that here in a minute, probably. Um, but the table next to me had a opened and used copy of Wingspan on the table. And they just slapped an $80 on there, which is $20 above MSRP for a used game. And it's uh, a new <laughs> game that's constantly yeah. coming out. Yeah, so it was gone in like two minutes. Sold. Right, absolutely. Of course it was. Um, and, you know, I said perceived scarcity. Wingspan is kind of an interesting one because it's almost a market perception became reality. Yep. Because the perception of scarcity is so low, more people are buying, and then there's actual scarcity. Right. Even of a used game. Yeah, absolutely. So that was a used game, but it's being printed. A, like There's a lot coming out, and Jeremy Stegmeier is very transparent about that. Um, you can sign up for his new newsletter on Stonemeyer Games' website. He's telling you when the new print runs are coming out. And so, listeners, if you want to get your hands on a wingspan, there's more coming. You don't need to have to get it in these different ways because there's more coming unless you absolutely want it. I heard the highest price that's gone for Wingspan so far has been about $1,000 on eBay. Uh, Bruce, the, the only reason I'm not speechless is because this is a podcast and I'm making myself talk. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Um, now, don't get me wrong. The game is phenomenal. Like you said, it was pretty much a game of the convention. The components are really cool. It comes with a dice tower. It comes with game trays. 170 some odd different cards of different bird art. It's just phenomenally done, but you, there's more coming. There's more coming. So it's perceived scarcity. You know, well put, Bruce. And I think this even dovetails a discussion of how do you judge the market and how do you judge relative worth in the first place? So, so, so you mentioned uh, components and beauty, and goodness, they are. There, there's a raw quality just to the product that you're getting in a wingspan. But what's most valuable about it, and I think we would say this about most games that we love, is the design of 
the full game, in, including its mechanics and including its art, and, and, and really as a full package. Mm -hmm. So if you, if you are familiar at all with what games are sold for, and, and you were trying to do kind of a, a relative cost analysis and wingspan, if you say, is it worth $60? I think it'd be really hard to argue that it's not, right? But you get into 80 and 100, and it becomes much more difficult to make that determination. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I completely agree. It really goes into all of the different aspects and really how it gets pulled together. Now, what that equation is, I don't know. Some people have called that the X factor. Some people have just said a wow factor or a staying presence. But you're right. As the number gets higher, there's you might question it a little bit more. Um, I know for me, A, can I tell that this is a, a, a passion project? And so Elizabeth Hargraves, the designer of Wingspan, like she poured it all out for this game. Absolutely. They real, and Jeremy Stegmeyer, being Jeremy Stegmeyer, really went through it with a fine-tooth comb and made it a really great experience that's really solid um, for the components, for the rules and how things stack together. The quality of the lin literal linen rule book is phenomenal. Mm -hmm. um, but it's not just the quality of the materials because it can look great but suck. <laughs> right? But there, there, are, there are some beautiful games that are not my favorite. Exactly, exactly. Um, and we're not going to get into those kind of things. Uh, but this is not one of those things. It's when it has both... It's a knock it out of the park. Because here's the deal. It could also not look the greatest. Um, if mm -hmm. you've been listening to the podcast, like Food Chain Magnate by Splatter mm -hmm. can be considered pretty ugly. The components of the board are these little tiles that are very, very grid. And there's not much going on there, but the art on the cards is really nice. It's like 1950s diner, because that's the theme of the game. So it's those old kind of motivational poster people. Um, <laughs> you don't see you saw in like old memes, but the game is phenomenal. And so that really outweighs the other stuff, making it really stand out, in my opinion. But the scarcity of that, too, is there, because that's a $90 game. Oh, my goodness. I, I've been... I was looking at my collection the other day and I was counting how many hundred dollar games do, do I have? Uh, and, uh, listeners, my, my personal collection by board gaming standards would be small. I think, uh, I believe counting expansions. I have 70. So whole games, it's just over 50. And I own six games that the market declares are worth a hundred dollars or more. And, that had me thinking about th this next kind of uh, economical piece, which is what about purchasing promos and expansions versus taking that same kind of, of dollar amount and, and buying a whole game? And, and I'll give you some examples here. The first one would be, remember when I came into the hobby, I was playing Dominion. So I loved getting the BGG promo card. I thought it was the, the, the freaking coolest thing. And by the way, I, we, we like BGG and you probably should buy their things. But, but the, five, the, 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 the promo card is five bucks. And if I spend five bucks six times, which I did, I could have bought a whole nother game. Mm -hmm. And the same, the same can be said for expansion. So these days, I'm really quite careful about that $20 expansion because two $20 expansions could be one whole other game. Yeah, and you've got that first thing of what does it look like when you're buying a promo, right, for a couple bucks, and then also just buying that expansion versus buying a whole nother game, right? And so let's kind of break those up. Let's first talk about the promo experience. So you bought 
couple versions of that same BGG promo, right, for $5 a piece. Sure, that's right. Yep, and which you need several of them, and there were different, different promos as well. Um, but that being said, I have seen a little bit with that too, and just to add something else to fuel to this fire, is not considering what balance issues might this present, right? Oh, that, that's really intriguing, Bruce. Uh, now, the, the promo is often just, um, just a little bit of ice to the original game, but I do remember getting some of those very first uh, BGG promos for, for Power Grid, for mm-hmm. instance, and they, they really threw off what players were trying to get uh, in the bidding works. Power Grid's mainly a, a bidding game in addition to a, you know, kind of a grid building game. Yep. Um, yeah. Well put. Yeah, so I was just thinking about that. So it's like, it's one thing of looking into the experience that it might create, right? So I really mm-hmm. love supporting BGG. Um, I love supporting different content creators. I know they work with a lot of different publishers to get some promos made. But A, that cost of that promo, is it worth me doing that instead of just getting a new game by putting these promos together? Or is that one little thing going to really make the game that much more balanced? Or is Uh. it going to throw it off? Because it could take something you like and make it add something that might change the dynamic a little bit like you were talking about with Power Grid, or enhance it and give more of what you like as well. Ah, no, 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 that's really astute, Bruce, I think. And, and we're talking about promos, but the argument lands more for me for expansions. Okay. Uh, and I'll, I'll give you a bit of an example. Um, my, my favorite game dating back to when I was in the hobby the first time uh, is, is really Innovation, mm. which is a, uh, a tableau builder. Uh, it's kind of uh, a an area control without a board. And um, my friends and I typically play it head to head, though it can play up to four. It's a a card game. The first uh, expansion to innovation was Echoes of the Past. It introduced some really cool new dynamics as far as when you draw cards, what you can do with them. Uh, We thought it, it opened the game up and the base game by itself was very strong with Echoes of the Past. Different experience. Um, so two really solid experiences, but not a balance shift uh, and an expansion, if you will, a change. Uh, we have the other three expansions as well. Uh, and in our opinions, um, varying degrees of what they do to the game as far as enhance it or, or change it. But but there is one. I'll go ahead and say it's the last expansion released, um, the, the Artifacts in the Sand mm. uh, expansion, which if I didn't get it in the deluxe box, uh, I, I, I think I would have left it because I think it ended up uh, det- uh, making so much of the existing strategy didn't work right anymore. Yeah, and so something a little bit opposite that, though, is everything that's been going on with Terraforming Mars. Terraforming Mars is a uh, card drafting game, and then you're building an engine in front of you to colonize and terraform Mars. And so you're trying to raise the oxygen, raise the heat, et cetera, and put down plants and oceans. It's really, really fun, uh, really cool to build your engine and feel good with that. My favorite card in the game is this one little pets card that's like a little fluffy dog. I love dogs. But... They've had a bunch of expansions over the last couple of years because Terraforming Mars was nominated for the Kenner Spiel, blew up on the world stage, and then has sold, um, Stronghold Games considers it a what's called an evergreen. So it's going to just 
keep producing and keep being sold because that's because it, it, it is it is. But they've had the Hellas and Elysium board added. They've had Prelude. They've had Colonies. They just did a Kickstarter for their next one, uh, which also added finally uh, recessed player boards. But it kept adding layers on layers and layers. And now people will not play it, like my gamer friends, they will not play it without everything. So it's not like a piecemeal, but that is because uh. every expansion they've added to it has made the game that much tighter and better. Oh, now that's that's quite intriguing, Bruce. I mean, yeah. goodness, that's, that's what you want from expansions, right? Right, right. Um, Give me more of the thing I like, but also by introducing other flavors. Yes, absolutely. And, but it, it has me thinking, uh, again, you say, okay, we've had the, had the opposite thing happen in Terraforming Mars. Okay, so so my player group won't play without everything. Now, if that's the attitude or, or, or the metagame of, of, of your group listeners, I think this gets into... Do, do you look at buying games piecemeal to attain this, this penultimate game? Or do you, do you want to buy a game that is really a whole game in its box? Which I think is why some people were upset that Gloomhaven had an expansion. Right, right. And so here's the thing, though. We didn't start with everything. We started by wading into the water, similar to the conversation we had earlier, right? And so uh. they did an intentional choice by layering it in the way they did because it was all actually new expansions. It wasn't original content that was cut out to make the base game. That's not how that worked. But here's the struggle that I think we need to lean into, is, and it's the same thing that people find when you go to a wine aisle in a grocery <laughs> store. The same issue. And that is... I don't know what's going to be in this bottle. I don't know what's going to be in this box. How do I know if this is going to be something that's going to be meaningful for my group? It, it, it certainly can. And, I mean, you're talking about something that's experiential. And, you know, you can do something like listen to a podcast like this one. Yes, or, you or, can. <laughs> or, 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 a, or a review of someone you trust. But, but this has, has me thinking about another one of the items we, we consider, which is... Uh, if you valuing games by their actual cost kind of over over their amount of play so um, so board game geek user um, redward uh, he told me about uh, an algorithm uh, that he uses where whenever he purchases a game or an expansion right to cover what we were talking about whenever he purchases uh, a game he's looking at how much uh, it cost and how much clock time that that game is getting uh, and, and now the way he does it, although it's kind of arbitrary, is is if a game doesn't uh, doesn't perform at about the ten dollar an hour mark, th then he's going to end up selling it, kind of mm. on the grounds that well, I you know I could have gone to a movie for that much. Yeah. So if you buy a twenty dollar expansion, right, and you play with four people once, it's five dollars. It was a five dollar experience. That's it. And you know what? I bought this expansion. Let somebody else in the game group develop a good group of friends where it kind of rotates around who's adding content for the meaningful, so it kind of balances out. Don't have all that be on one person. Just going to encourage that. Um, but if you bring it out a second time, you've now played it with eight. And so now it's only cost of $2.50 a person. So that's kind of how that works, listeners. Oh, excellent. And that's, um, th that's absolutely it. And... And so for our, uh, what we were saying about, hey, is this going to be a meaningful experience, right? When you've broken the cost down like that, if it's, uh, if it's meaningful to all of you, uh, hey, wonderful. It's accomplished just what, what you wanted. And, and then if it's not, well, you know, 
that's why I'm into selling board games that I don't play anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and so here's the thing. Uh, I'm just going to go to this, and that was part of all the virtual flea market stuff was, hey, these games are really good. It's just not getting to the table for me. It's not getting to the table for my gaming group. And thus, I just want to get it out there to other people. And so I'm going to bring up a point that you brought up down here, and that is looking up, like, selling things. So we're going to pivot a little bit. Selling things for less than they're actually worth, right? Um, Just so for me, that was let's just get this to other people so they can experience it, but also really ease the burden of me selling it. It was kind of a win-win, if that makes sense. Uh, it does. Now, uh, Bruce uh, said that we met uh, as, as he sold me something, and, and, and that's true. And um, I, I really wanted to, to ask him about that uh, at the con. And goodness, I'd, I'd love to hear you sure. say a bit more about it. But, um, I mean, we can be playing. So I bought a, a Snow White Gemstone mining game uh, from Bruce, and he had it listed at, at one price, which was far less than what it was worth uh, from from a market perspective and, and then I asked him would he would he go lower even than that and he was happy to do that which surprised me and, and, and I'd like to hear about your process absolutely so this game has had phenomenal reviews so it's the snow white gemstone mining game it has a lot of cool things going on I actually sold it new in shrink so I hadn't even played it myself my copy at least um, and so where that came from for me is, I have had uh, a lot of games in my collection, and we have, my wife and I have really been going of, is it bringing joy? So we went the KonMari method, so if you haven't watched that on Netflix, it's yeah, the yeah. tidying up, just letting the listeners know. And with that, <laughs> with that, we said, okay, let's tackle the game room. And I looked at it, and it said, this game is sparking joy. It's, I know it's going to be a fun experience, and my wife loves, and I both love Disney things. But at the end of the day, I know that this could get more value with someone else. And I actually didn't have to purchase that game, just going to be fully transparent. I won that game by competing in a trivia contest at Board Game Geek Convention last fall. So myself and three of our friends, um, we made a team. Our game, our team name was Tigris and Your Mama instead of Tigris and Euphrates. Um, and we won. That was sponsored by USAopoly. And we all won. We took top prize against some notable game designers, I might add. Um, and we had each got a pile of games from USAopoly. And that was included in that. And so for that being said, I'm like, it didn't cost anything for me. I also have this thing for really just this great experience I got to have with the trivia. And I just wanted to go to a good home. That's where all that came in. Well, Bruce, first of all, uh, congrats on your on your big win and your Thanks. winnings Thank versus you. Uh, notable game designers that, that shall not be named. They will not be named. <laughs> but we've named some games that they have made in this podcast today. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, and and I, I thought about uh, our, our meeting, Bruce, and... You know, you're you're talking about wanting the games to to go to good homes, and, and I, I very much get this feeling of authenticity from you. Uh, I told you uh, my intent to uh, to give that game to to my son for for his next birthday, and because I know what you think about this hobby and the people who play it, like I know it matters to you that that's going to spark joy in in my household. So I'm really grateful for that. And actually warmed my heart. Listeners, I just got to say it. I was like, hey, do you want to talk about that game that you bought off of me? And Jeremy's actually like, no, I'm actually holding it for 
for a couple months to give as like a present. And so like that warmed extra heart. So like not only <laughs> not only did I know it was going to a good place, but then I was like the the cream of the crop. So like good people, Jeremy. Jeremy is good people. Thank you. Yeah, of course. Well, that's that, that's kind of you, Bruce. And and you know, while we're being nice to each other, uh, maybe we can talk about some other yes. behavioral economics. Yes, yes please. Be- because uh, I, I'll admit to you, and, and I've told you this before, that that I'm not opposed to making a profit when I sell a game. Matter of fact, I, 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 I rather want to do that. So, for instance, uh, if we're at the, the, the Board Game Geek Bazaar, uh, which isn't like the virtual flea market. This is like you show up and you, and you have a table and you, you put your games on display and you price them. And generally speaking, uh, you, you, you haggle with people uh, about what they're going to get. Now, um, knowing what I know about human behavior and, and purchasing decisions, I, I know that uh, people, um, sellers who don't have the benefit of checking the market like Amazon Prime or eBay or, or the geek market are going to have to rely on heuristics or rules of thumb to make their decision on whether they buy or not. And those things kind of go like this. Uh, something in a little box is probably worth five bucks. Something in a medium-sized box is probably 10 to 15. Something in a large box is probably 30 or maybe more if it's a really well-known game. But if it's a really well-known game, you don't really have to use a rule of thumb. So it doesn't apply in, in quite the same way. So if and the person thinks probably thinks, hey, I want the best deal that that I can get on that, and I can probably get a best deal if if I ask to haggle a little bit, and so you know, frankly, as you might expect in a bazaar, sometimes it's a seller like I got taken and and let something go for for uh, less than I than I really wanted to. But often I was able to price something higher than I was than I was expected to get um, for it, and um, thinking that okay, perhaps when they haggle, I'll get just just what I'm looking for, or what I think the actual relative market is here. And, and sometimes I was really kind of taken aback, like, "Ooh, um, you want to spend that much on this game because I priced it that way?" Like, well, okay. <laughs> Yeah, so that's a thing. And definitely, like I told you, I was selling games, but I've also gone on the other side and been buying games with that. So typically, people will sometimes price it up a little bit, the smart ones. And then when you're going around about halfway through, they might take a couple dollars off. And then as it gets close to the very end, they could take a couple dollars off, but it's a negotiation. Um, but that really plays into another thing that I have read about, and, and maybe you can speak to this, but that is phantom pricing. Uh, that that is absolutely uh, phantom pricing, Bruce. You know, um, I'll I'll let you correct me, actually. But but I'm thinking about the the idea where the price isn't actually based on the relative market quality of the game, or or even the actual experiential quality of the game. Uh, the price is based on appearance, the setting in which it's. Um, it's being sold, and the expectation that the sticker price itself is basically false. Right. Uh, it's it, it's like when you go to buy a car, you can imagine that you're spending, based on the kind of car you buy, five hundred to perhaps even three thousand dollars less than the sticker price. Yes, and so that's exactly what it is. But it can go absolutely for the board game bazaar. And so that phantom pricing, in a nutshell, is if I am selling you something and I didn't list a price, and you ask me, well, how much do you want for it? I could say, well, let's say the game is worth 50. I could say, you know, 
this really should go for 80, but I'm willing to go 70. You can't, you can't not hear the 80. You've heard the 80. And so that is stuck. And so any leverage I get from there kind of sways it to my favor. Now you can also try the opposite where if I have a game listed at the bazaar and there's a sticker price on it, I could say, you know, I really, really only want to go about 20 for that game. That's 50. Meanwhile, I'm comfortable spending 40, but you don't know that, but you heard me say 20. And so it's going to kind of leverage things in one way or the other. Now it's really oh, hard to undo sure. that. Yeah. I, I, I do know this one, but I know it under an, an, another name. I've heard yes. this one called uh, door in the face. That's what we usually <laughs> called it. And it's, it's, it's like you hit somebody so hard that when they back off, you're like, well, okay, I'll, I guess we'll agree to this. Mm-hmm. Um, now, 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 by the way, uh, while we were talking about, hey, hey, perhaps I'm a good person, even though I want to make a profit, uh, I, I do not condone and, you know, don't want anybody out there to actually be deceptive. I mean, if you think that would, that would right. be the wrong thing, right. it's, it's, if you say, you know, what am I willing to take for it? And, and your true answer is 20, but the person says, well, you take 18 and you do, <laughs> you know, that's, that's a fully different thing than saying a game that's, that's actually worth 50 is worth 80. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So this is a community where better, we're all like, let's have the tide rise all of the ships. Um, but yeah, so this is a thing. This is a real, real thing, and it's uh, it's interesting to watch it happen because it totally does, totally does. Now, I, I told you um, about flipping games inside of the convention, and uh, and and I did do that. I'll give you um, I'll give you an example, yeah. uh, and and why my conscience was okay with it. But feel free to judge me if you'd like. Um, at uh, at the bazaar, uh, I, I picked up a copy of Space Cadets, a used copy for uh, for ten dollars. And I was really excited to play it, and I still have it, unfortunately. But I, I, I walked around the bazaar, and I saw that another copy was there for 25. And I thought, well, huh? The market, <laughs> the, the market just changed. Yep. The market is no longer ten dollars. The market is now 25. So if I'm if I resell it for 20, mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Which which is in fact what I did. Um, why my conscience is okay with that is if I'd left there with Space Cadets because nobody bought it, I would have been happy because I got a great game for 10 bucks. Right, and so the, here's the thing. That's just doing your homework on what the market is willing to bear, um, ah. if that makes sense. And so it's not that I looked at all the Amazon prices and this one person was trying to get this ridiculous price on eBay or something like that. But mm. if that is what's being shown in multiple outlets, that's completely fair. Um, I actually did that with HeroQuest. My first time going to BGG, I bought HeroQuest in the bazaar. And uh, there was no price listed on it or anything. And this is just as it's like really coming back. And uh, I know that it has a huge perceived value, right? But people are still able to find it for like five bucks at a garage sale. I've bought and sold that game so many times. (laughs) Right. But here's the thing. I, I, I didn't want to have to go through all of that. And so this is also a perceived win, right? A perceived flip. I just flat out offered him what I thought was fair based on what the market was. It was significantly higher than that, but not too high, where it was just a fair point, and we didn't even need to haggle. It was just like, no, that's just a fair offer. And so I think if you really also know the market, you can go into these things and just give a fair offer. And most people are willing to go with that, I think. Yeah, and there, there is something about when you're when you're inside the board gaming community. I think that happens uh, more often than not. You know, talking about a bazaar, even at a BGG con, it's you're you're looking at. 
people who have have done less of that homework and have less understanding of uh, of relative market costs. But when we're inside our, our, our own community, I, I generally think people are just not trying to, to mess each other up. Yeah. <laughs> and we're wanting win-wins. Yeah, because this is like going back to summer camp. We're going to see him again. Um, <laughs> but it's cool because you don't really have access to really look stuff up. You're in this confined space. It's only so long. So it's really fun experience if you can go out and experience that. Um, but just for the sake of time, what would be another one, another topic within this buying and selling that you think our listeners should really hear about? Yeah, I, well, I did want to ask um, yeah. a, about about one more. Uh, I, I don't even know if it's buying or selling. It's more like more like not selling. Sure. Like, is there like are there games you keep? just because of emotional attachment, not because they're monetarily valuable, not because you like playing the game, but you just, you just won't ever get rid of them. Yeah, there are. Um, so that HeroQuest game, I know I'm never getting rid of it. My wife actually just bought me a set of easels from uh, Michael's, and I have it on display in my game room. Um, some other games, I have the games that I played growing up. Now, do I often play Stratego or Risk? Or Risk? No, I don't. But I have these two games. They were the Barnes & Noble wooden box editions with all wooden components. So it looks like a box, a game, not a game. It looks like a book on a shelf. Those games I'll have for the rest of my life. The, the version of Backgammon that my mom bought me because we grew up playing Backgammon together, I'll always have that. I do have some really cool old versions of Monopoly, too. Now, do I play Monopoly often? No. Also, because my wife says I'm a different person when I play that kind of game. <laughs> um, that's a whole other conversation that's not for right now. But I do have those games that I know I'm never going to sell. And for another game that's a more recent example, like Star Wars Rebellion. Um, that game, I've gotten so much play out of it, but I've made so many memories along the way as well that I know I'm going to hang on to that game. I've also blinged it out like crazy with acrylic standees and all sorts of other stuff. That game means a lot to me, both emotionally as well as just really good thing to look at and, and just remember some of those experiences. Thanks, Bruce. I mean, it's, it's, it's enriching to, to hear your story and how, how your life is, is in some way reflected in your game collection. It is. You know, I have, have some of those too, but, but but I'll really just just share one and then yeah. then we can. Um, so when I was growing up, my my uncle's favorite game was Rail Baron, Ooh. which is oh somebody's heard of Rail. Baron. I have heard wow. of Rail Baron. Yes, absolutely. Which, which, I, which I was going to say for the listeners in any case. Yeah, yeah. Uh, is, Let them know a, what it is. Yeah, is a is a railroad game from 1977, the old Avalon Hill uh, style, and it, it was as I said, it was my my uncle's favorite game. Well. He didn't like to play it so much with with children who were growing up. So a rite of passage was getting old enough that uh, that Uncle Rich would play Rail Baron with you. Well, uh, now I was the oldest of the cousins. There were like nine of us, and my brother was the youngest. And every time he would get a little bit older, kind of the the threshold for entry to play Rail Baron would rise um, a little bit. Um, and and here's where it gets sad. And so we'll go ahead and disclaimer that. Um, my father tried to track the game down for um, for years, and he actually wrapped it up because he was going to give it to my brother um, for Christmas. And and then my brother he ended up dying uh, oh. six six days before Christmas. And thank oh. you, it was, um, three oh. and a half years ago. I'm so sorry for your loss. Uh, thanks, man. I, I you know we at this point we know each other, so it means quite yeah. a bit. Coming from yeah, yeah, yeah. That that's not easy. And uh, my condolences to you and your family. No matter how long time has passed, that's always going to be there. Um, and yeah. so 
So you were able to track down a copy? And so, well, and, and so I got my brother's copy that my dad had wrapped oh. for him, and I got, I got his present too. And and so he, and, and the, being inside of the topic that we're doing, yeah. Uh, here's this game that is probably valued about one hundred and forty dollars, something like that. And if I hang on to it, it'd be two hundred. But I'm never going to manage to sell it, right? Because of yeah. because of how I acquired it. Right. Absolutely. And. That's no one can explain that. Like if someone was just to see that box, they would have no idea. Right. But if you see that it has a completely different meaning. And I think that's also something that's just as something good for us to remember. And that is just because we see a game on the table does not mean that the same opinion about that game is going to be had by other people as well as the experiences that come along with it. So when somebody's like telling you about a game or something like that, they might have some, deep-seated reasons for liking that game as well. Um, and just giving them that grace and giving them that respect in all of this too, I think is a good thing that we can all remember from time to time. Well, th- thanks for letting me share that, Bruce, with, um, yeah. w- without, without warning you that, that, that I was going to do that. Um, but uh, that's, we're a community. that's thoughts on I'm glad we're able to talk about this. And thank you for, feel- for being able to talk about that. That really means a lot. Um, but I know... There's a lot of other topic, a lot of other behavioral economics that we didn't get to. But in all of this, what are just some ideas or tips just to kind of close this out that you think listeners and gamers should just know as they're approaching these different topics based on your background? Sure. Well, uh, if you're if you're buying or selling, uh, understanding the market is really your best friend. And so, if you've gone on Amazon and eBay uh, and the geek market, you're gonna um, have more knowledge probably than than anybody else um, that that you're involved in. And remember that your enemy is is relying on heuristics or your your fast thinking or your intuition, and that your friend is doing your slow thinking. So if you're convinced that you're going to buy a game, then if you can at all help it, you want to wait a few days uh, to make that purchase to make sure that you continue um, to want to do that. Um, uh, and if you're wanting to uh, sell a game, then really speed is your friend. And the more you can can have other people rely on the same heuristics that you don't want to. Yeah. And I'll throw in something else that actually helped me navigate it as well. And that is if you know you're going into that kind of environment, where you are going to have these pressures and you're going to have these impulse triggers. Maybe have a friend with you um, that oh, walk yeah. around with you and kind of be your re- rationale. Or if they need to hold your money, that can be a thing, too. Um, <laughs> but the other thing is to make yourself a list. Make yourself the list of the games that you're looking like. If I find these things, this is what I'm reasonably willing to spend. Um, Kind of set those capacities before you even enter the space. Because you know you're going to be on the lookout for games. And if there's some that you've always wanted to have, make that list. Because I guarantee you you might see it, um, at least one of them. And that happened for me the first time I walked in that space. Immediately saw HeroQuest from across the room. And then I had to quickly do the mental gymnastics to figure (laughs) out what is a reasonable price to say right now. (laughs) And I was sweating and it was all the things. But, um, But this is just really, really helpful information for the listeners. But also helps us evaluate other things as well in life. I think it's kind of ubiquitous, not just to gaming, but other things in life. And that is things that have meaning for you. Price might not be indicative of what that meaning is behind it. 
also some of us may have more access and things like that. And maybe you don't have to think as hard about how much the game is going for, but also realize on both ends that somebody else might. And that um, both of those things are not wrong, but they're just our different experiences. And this is a community about coming together no matter who we are or things like that. And I talked about this in the last episode, but I just love the fact, this was said by Rodney Smith, um, and that is that games, how often in any other situation in life can we come together learn something together, but operate by the same rule set. And so by having some of this knowledge, you have the same rule set as the person who's selling or the person who's buying, and to kind of leverage that for a better community overall. So take all this, but use it for good. Um, <laughs> Jeremy, uh, we're, we're pretty much up on our time. I was curious, do you have any closing thoughts for the listeners or other, other things you'd just like to share? Uh, there is one more thing. So on Board Game Geek, my username is Bone for Life, and I know that sounds weird, and, and I get a lot of questions about it, and some people think that even sounds kind of vulgar. And here's what it means. Thank you. Uh, when, <laughs> when when I was in high school, uh, I was on the drum line, and the drummers we called ourselves the Bones. Uh. And uh, in junior high, I, I watched the World Championship Wrestling, and then the NWO was around back in those days. Uh, and they always said that they were for life and they would spell it like the number four and then L Y F. Mm -hmm. And so I was bone for life, uh, when the internet came around, uh, and, and 20 years later, it's, it's kind of different, but I'm still bone <laughs> for life. Yeah. And BGG does have this thing. You can't edit your, at your username at all. Um, <laughs> if it's any consolation, my first, uh, first email account was TGIF something, something, something. And so I was there with you. It's just, <laughs> luckily, mine has been able to fade, but BGG, that thing is locked in. Right, um, right. But thank you for giving the information to the <laughs> listeners, because if you listened to the last episode, you know I had some trepidation in saying it. Um, so thank you, Jeremy, for joining us. I think this is very useful information. Listeners, I hope you enjoyed this. Um, just want to just say thank you again, Jeremy, for not only this, but also just being a great person in the hobby and everything that you have also done um, to help this hobby grow and your experiences and sharing that today, but then also everything you and family have done for this country. So thank you again for that. Hey, thank you, Bruce. Thanks for uh, for what you do for, for the hobby. And, uh, you, you know, it People thank me and, and, and my family for our service, and, and you just did. But but we thank you for for your service to, to this community and 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 you know to growing the the positive impact of board games. Thank you so much, Jeremy. And so with that, we're going to wrap up this episode, listeners. Hope you enjoyed this. And uh, Jeremy, I can't wait to see you at another convention soon. So good luck with everything, and I'll see you soon. Listeners, I don't know about you, but I just thought that was a great conversation that Jeremy and I just got to have. And I just want to say thank you again, Jeremy, uh, for being on the show today. And also, I'm just so thankful that we've been able to connect through this amazing hobby. Uh, but listeners, this is going to be the wrap-up of everything. So again, my name is Bruce Brown, and you can find me on Board Game Geek as Bruce Brown. Thank you so much for listening to Board Game Impact. We hope that learning about what experiences we're having uh, are also making a positive impact on you so that way you can make informed decisions for you and your gaming group. You can learn more about the show by going to BoardGameImpact.com. If you'd like to have a topic discussed, email us at BoardGameImpact at gmail.com. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook, which are both BoardGameImpact. And again, if you want to know about 
our phenomenal Patreons uh, and the people that really make this thing happen and support us, support the show, go on over to patreon.com slash boardgameimpact and check that out there and check out how you can support the show. Also, if you could just take a minute and do rate the show in whatever app you're enjoying, thank you for those of you who have done that. It's been so, so helpful to hear directly from you and listeners, it'd be great to hear from you as well. And then just let somebody else know who else is also a gamer or learning new games uh, about the podcast. We found that those who are learning about new games, this is also extremely helpful for. So if you could just let somebody know about the podcast, it would really help. But with all that being said, really the most important thing is that we now go after this episode and we go have fun, have a great rest of our day, but also go make a positive impact on the world. <laughs>